Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. Today, I have interviewed Gemma Fairclough-Haynes. Gemma is a HR specialist and runs a company called Orchard Employment Law. And I thought it'd be fantastic to get Gemma onto the podcast. I've used her myself for her to give us some kind of top tips on, as an employer, how we should be supporting our workforce and how we can create an attractive place for our staff to work. She gave us some HR 101 basics around the first things we should be getting in place are around our contracts. And she helped us understand that there are three aspects to an employment contract, what is written down, the conduct and what we do in real life, and the legal obligations, which you should definitely listen to is really interesting if you are leading your team. She talked about how to introduce new policies or update them. We also talked about adverse weather policies, which is very timely because now it's getting cold, schools might be closing. So she just gives you some further information around that for you guys to consider. Another thing that stuck out to me about this interview is I asked Gemma, what are the most common issues that employers are coming to you with? And she said it was around absence and conduct. Um, which I thought was really interesting. And I asked the question, you know, why do people not want to come to work? As an employer, I took lots of tips, lots of notes. I want to create an attractive place to work. I want to be a good employer. I want to put my staff first. I'm sure you guys do as well. And I hope that you find this interesting and helpful. Hi Gemma, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So I know Gemma. Gemma has provided us with HR support. I'm a small business with a few employees and it was during a time where Charlotte went on maternity leave and being a mum myself, it was really important to me that I made sure that Charlotte felt supported and that I met my legal obligations as an employer. So I drafted Gemma in, it's fantastic. And I know we've also had another issue where I phoned you up and been like, this has happened, (laughs) what do I do? Um, So I just, knowing what I do and seeing some of the things I do in primary care, I thought it'd be really interesting and helpful to bring you onto the podcast to give people an overview of some of the things they might want to consider regarding human resources, HR within their practices, within their workplace. So could you give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and what Orchard Employment does? Yeah, fantastic. So I've been an employment law and HR specialist now for just over nine years, can't quite believe it, and had a background primarily in representing employers in employment tribunals up and down the country. And what I noticed whilst I was representing employers was that a lot of problems could have been sorted out easily beforehand with the right advice, practical advice, and really allowing employers to make decisions, but informed decisions. So in 2015, I set up Orchard Employment Law to do employment law and HR advice to employers. 
And we work on a number of different ways. Sometimes we just give advice. Sometimes it's documents. Sometimes it's tribunal representation. And sometimes it's training. So it is really just the place to go, a safe space to get clear and uncomplicated advice with how to manage your staff effectively, legally and in being compliant. What do your clients tend to come to you most for? Most of my clients, to be honest, come to me with a problem. And one of the problems tends to be managing absences or conduct. Those are the two biggest things. I think, generally speaking, most people think they're doing okay. And then when they've got somebody that they can't get to come to work because of absence or they've got a conduct issue and they're not really sure what they can or cannot do with that, that's when they tend to pick up the phone or email me. Okay. And where do you think employers are kind of getting it wrong? What are mm. doing wrong? <laughs> there tends to be a lot of myths out there. And, you know, it's really great to, to have a network and to call on other people within your industry for advice. But the truth of the matter is they're not experts in managing people. They're not experts in HR or employment law. So some, a lot of the time, actually, they get it wrong by saying, well, somebody else I know has done this and therefore I'm going to follow suit. So when employers get it wrong, so they've, they've gone down a path and actually they've, then they've stopped and spoken to you, how do you get that employer to kind of come back, keep their credibility, not cause huge you know, waves within that workplace? How do you help educate employees to say, actually, you're not really supposed to do that. Let's pivot and let's get you back on track. I'm really a transparent person. So I believe in just, you know, calling a spade what it, what it is. A spade is a spade and saying to them, look, this isn't, this isn't right, but this is, this is how we get it on track. And that will vary depending on what the problem is. So sometimes it might be, okay, well, we've been doing it wrong so far. Let's change it now. Sometimes it might be, well, actually, this person isn't good for your business. We need to, we can't continue like this. Other times it might be, well, let's do a bit of training and see if we can work things out. And other times it'll be through maybe a compromise agreement. So it really just depends on what the problem they're facing is. Do you ever support the employee? Because you get one side of the story from the employer, Mm. but where you said this person isn't good for your business, do you ever hear the other side of the story? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that we do do is go into businesses and conduct HR meetings. So whether that be a grievance meeting or a disciplinary meeting or a capability meeting, and we always do look at things objectively. So I go in as an independent chair and I literally listen to both sides of the story. And if needs be, I'll do a bit of investigation, which might involve speaking to other members of staff and other witnesses as well. And sometimes, yeah, absolutely, when there's a grievance, we uphold the grievance and say, no, the employer was wrong. And we suggest that they rectify it. Or we'll look at the disciplinary and go, well, actually, we think that if you had the right support, that things would be okay. And the same with capability too. So we do look at supporting both sides. Okay, so when you say one of the kind of the most popular issues is where staff are not coming into work for absence, why do staff not want to come to work? There's a variety of reasons. Most people love working. Let's be honest. Work is not just about having money. It provides a social element. It provides a sense of purpose. So generally speaking, people do like to go to work. However, 
There are times when they're either just not well enough to go to work, whether that's physically or mentally. There are times when staff members feel unsupported or they haven't had the right guidance and training, and that might cause knock-on effects as to why they're not coming to work. So it's really important to look at the overall well-being of staff in order to ensure that they want to continue to come to work, making sure that we give them praise where praise is due, guidance where guidance is due too. Incidentally, I had um, a situation with one of my clients who had somebody who just used to visit, the person who worked three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and every Wednesday, this admin member of staff would be ill. And I said, well, it's really interesting. Have you just asked her why that is? What is she ill with? And they said, we don't know. So we delved into it a bit further. I spoke to the employee. Turns out she had migraines, and the migraines were brought on, on by sitting in front of a computer three days or two days in a row. So with her consent, we changed her working days to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and her attendance literally went to 100%. Okay. So can I just ask, in regards to looking at somebody's overall employment package, what sort of benefits could employers be given to make their kind of proposition, their environment, their employees a little bit more happier so employees feel valued without them breaking the bank? It's not always about the salary and being an attractive employer, yes, paying well is a, is a good thing, but it's also about how you appreciate your staff. So do you give them a good holiday package, for instance? So we know that for a full-time member of staff, it's minimum of 28 days that may include bank holidays, but perhaps you give them an extra day for their birthday or you allow them to have a duvet day. We like duvet days where you know, if they're feeling a bit under the weather, they can cash that in. Or perhaps you allow them to work from home from occasion on occasion. Or you might have core hours, but with, outside of those core hours, they can work flexible time. So it's about giving staff other things to show them that you appreciate them and you respect them. And there might be bonuses, there may be profit, profit shares, and there may be a, a fun environment also. So it's about providing an environment in which people want to work with. Do you have team outings? Do you get people coming in? And training is a really, really, really big thing. We live in a day and age where not many people get a 25-year length of service award. That used to be commonplace back, I say back in the day, we're only going back sort of 10 years. Now, long service tends to be about five years. If someone's been with you five years, you've done really, really well. But if so, what employees tend to think about is, well, if I move on, will I be better off in terms of what would I have learned? So if you can provide training and it doesn't have to be certified training, it could be on the job training too, then that makes them, the, the package look a lot more attractive. What do you say to organisations that say, well, if I train them, they'll leave me? If you don't train them, they will leave you is essentially, essentially where we're at. Now, in terms of a bit of security for the employer, if it's training which you're paying for, so for them to go on a course, then I do recommend putting in place a training contract which allows you to recoup some monies on a sliding scale if employees leave you within two years of completing that course because you've paid for it and therefore you should be entitled to at least get the benefit of it. But that aside, Actually, you'll find that they won't leave you if you're doing the right things. And if they leave you, then a better person than you've done your bit for society. Okay. How many people do you employ? Just the one. I have one employee and one associate. Okay. 
So can I ask, you wrote a recent blog on how employers should start to prepare for the colder months, which I thought was really, really interesting because it can cause a significant impact in people getting to the office. Can you summarise to us and me (laughs) what I I should be thinking about, what I should be doing? So think about having an adverse weather policy in plan. You might not have one written down. It's ideal if you do. It's not the end of the world if you don't. But if the worst happens, and when we talk about adverse weather, we're not always thinking about the employees themselves not being able to get to work. It may be that they have children and the school is closed, as well as the fact that there could be fallen trees or snow, etc. So in the event that they can't get to work, what happens? Is there another way they can work? Can they work remotely? Will you expect them to make up the time? Will you pay them or won't you pay them? Who would they contact to let you know to let the, let you know as the employer that they can't get to work? And essentially, those are the main things you want to think about. Should employers pay? I thought it was interesting when you said, should they, should they not pay them? No, they don't have to pay them. So do they have to? No. You've got to think if you work for a, if you've got a large organisation or a large organisation, let's say that you employ 50 or 100 staff and none of them can make it into the work, you don't want to be paying them for that. However, you may say, well, you can make up the time over next week doing a couple of hours extra each day. Or you may say you can take some of your annual leave or you may say you can work from home. How should employers be updating their policies in a way that doesn't make their team go, well, that, we didn't do that last year. Why, why have you changed it? And they feel hard, you know, how do you commute? How, how should we be doing that to minimise the disruption that that causes? Yeah. So I'd always say where possible, have a face-to-face meeting. Policies, you should be notifying employers, employees anyway that policies may be subject to change. And the reason for that, explain the reason why, is because it's to allow for growth, flexibility and to meet the needs of the employees as well as of the business. So in the first instance, I would say to have a meeting with them, a consultation meeting, explain why it is that you want to make this change and allow them a period of time in which they can come back to you with any rebuttals or suggestions or solutions or ways in which it can be either changed better or not changed at all. And really do consider what they're saying to you, because at the end of the day, you don't know everything. Now, if you've taken on board all of their suggestions and and you've had a two-way dialogue, but you still feel like you need to make the change, then go ahead and make the change. But explaining to them the reasons as as to why you've not gone ahead with their decisions or ideas. Okay. So one of the things that comes up is when employers have like an all-female team or predominantly a female team I've got all we've got five of us we've got Mm. seven kids and I think do you get do you encounter any discrimination with recruiting how can we stop employers from discriminating against women of childbearing age that's what I'm trying to say (laughs) but I don't know how I don't know how to say it you know there are benefits to employing women and there are benefits to employing men and there are certainly benefits to having a diverse team and if you are excluding a particular group of people from your team then what you're doing is potentially removing a a particular group of skills. With with regards to women being of childbearing age and and having children uh, I don't find it to be a problem. I mean I'm a mother myself as I know you are Tara and my assistant Lucy she works from home two days a week and actually I get more out of her in a way because I'll say to her if Ethan is sick 
let me know what you can do is you can perhaps work when he's gone to bed. So rather than her taking the, the full day off, she'll do um, a lot more. And she's very loyal to the business, I think in part because I am so flexible and accommodating around her and her child. Do you notice any different trends within the healthcare sector and the HR issues they experience to other sectors? What I find actually with primary healthcare is they tend to follow the NHS model of employment, which is very, very generous. So some of the GP practices I've been into, for instance, they'll have six months sick leave for their staff. And I say, one of the reasons why you've got a problem with absences is because you've got this six month sick leave why is that and it tends to be because they've just copied nhs contracts which are each which are very very generous but they do have to remember that they are not nhs businesses they're private businesses and they don't have that same resource or same budget when people are off sick long term it's not just about the financial impact it's about the impact that that has on other members of the team as well because the work still needs to be done and it affects morale too. Do you have a view on the benefits of employing less experienced staff and training them versus trying to get somebody you know like ready good to go that can hit the ground running? Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, obviously, there's got to be a balance, but I love the whole train your grow your own mentality and ethos because sometimes experienced staff they come in with their own way of thing way of doing things, and sometimes they're not very flexible or not very willing to learn. Whereas if you get somebody who is fresh, and I don't mean in age, I just mean somebody who necessarily hasn't got all of the things you'd like them to have, and um, but is willing to learn. Willing is so much more than able. And I think, you know, it's also about how they fit in with other team members as well. So I love the whole grow your own concept. I think it's fantastic. And what advice would you give to a manager or a business owner that's got quite a small team that doesn't have a HR manager? What things should we know? What training or course or what should, what is like HR 101? 101 is to get your contract in place, the policies and your contracts, the documentation. Lots of people think I will get round to it, but you should be starting as you mean to go on. You should be showing your staff what, and it's not just about what you expect them to do, but what they can expect from you also. So that's the first thing. The second thing is once you have those policies in place, is not to then go and do something else. Because what people do is they create contracts unknowingly So a contract is made up of three things. The first thing is what is written down. The second thing is what you do. So you can do something by conduct. Christmas is coming up and I often talk about how if you're giving a Christmas bonus every year, year in, year out, without saying this is not contractual, the one year you decide not to do it for whatever reason, maybe you can't afford it, maybe you're giving them something else, you're then going to find yourself in breach of contract, even though it's not written down. So, you know, really be mindful about what you do as well as what's written down. And then the third thing is to be mindful of the law because a contract is also made up of the law. You cannot take people, you cannot withdraw people's rights just by putting it in in writing. So they'd be my three top tips, really. Subscribe to various different newsletters. I've got a little plug for ours. We do a free newsletter that people can subscribe to. There's Daniel Barnett. He's an employee, employment lawyer who does a free podcast and newsletter as well. There's Darren Newman and the CIPD. So there are lots of places that you can get resources from. What size of an organisation should somebody thinking 
we really need to have this specialism in-house. It's not really about the science, but what tends to happen is when people start putting in place middle management, so that usually happens around about 15, 16 employees, they then tend to have a HR manager. But even then, an HR manager may not be a specialist in everything they need to know. They may still need to have a helpline or somebody they can contact for more expertise. What should employers do so they don't have to contact you when they're in crisis? Ideally, surely you don't want to get the call, the call to say this has happened. Like, yeah. when do you, it's like in medicine, oh, like yeah. prevention is better than prevention. prevention. Yeah. Yeah. So before you decide to do something, then check it out. So if you're, if you haven't got the resource, perhaps to call somebody or subscribe to a membership, which allows you to have on-court advice, for instance, like FSB, then definitely, you know, look on the internet, find out information and, con- and if you are going to contact somebody or me, contact me before you do the thing. Okay. Contact me first and you'll find that it can be dealt with a lot quicker and easier. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you? So you could visit my website, which is www.orchardemploymentlaw.co.uk or you could contact me on LinkedIn, which is Gemma Fairclough Haynes and it's Gemma with a J. You've recently secured some award or accreditation. Could you tell me about that before you go? Oh, yes. So recent thing has been securing ISO 9001, which is an international standard. So that's just what it says on the tin for quality management. And that was quite an, a, a, t- a long process, but a very thorough and great process where we had auditors come into our business look at our systems and processes, make sure that our clients are protected, make sure that we've got things in place to make sure that we're constantly training ourselves up so that we're given the very best advice and very best service. Yeah, we'll have that for quite a while. Auditors will come in each year and review us over and over again. So it was quite a long, in-depth process. It was quite an expensive process, but it's something that I'm very proud of because it means that we are giving our clients the very best which is what they deserve you also do a lot of speaking i do yeah i do lots and lots of speaking and training as well i've been speaking at lots of various events often about equality and diversity that's one of my big topics and other employment law matters so employment law updates for instance next year i'm speaking at the olympia the in-house recruitment expo because in 2020 we'll have again and huge shift in lots of employment law processes and practices as of the 1st of April. What is your message around equality and diversity? Oh, there's so many messages. But essentially, that it's, it's not a tick box, ex, tick box exercise. It's not something that you just have a policy for and do nothing about. We all have unconscious biases. We need to understand what equality and diversity is and inclusion, how having an equal and diverse workforce can benefit your business and my key key message is sometimes that equality is not the gold standard it's about equity so what that means is sometimes everybody gets the same doesn't work there's no way we'd say to somebody in a wheelchair you've got to take the stairs because everybody has to take the stairs so sometimes it's about being equitable rather than enforcing equality. And I also do quite a bit around mental health and in particular around dementia because we've got this ageing workforce. And although we're getting early onset dementia and people are working longer, so we might have people working with us that have dementia. The other thing to remember is 
that the people who are caring for somebody who has a disability, so that could be their parents or their partners, is also protected against being discriminated against in the same way as if they have a disability themselves. As we wrap up this interview, what advice would you give to a manager apart from getting their contracts and documentations in place? You know, what you talked about what makes an attractive place to work, but if you could give somebody one piece of advice, how are you going to support your employees? What advice would you give to them? Oh, it would be to have regular contact with your staff, especially as you grow. Don't lock yourself in an office. You can have an office, but make sure that you're having regular forums where you can have an open dialogue, where you're, you've got a mutual trust and you're constantly engaging with them. You're encouraging them to engage with you and you're really making them feel, feel valued. Thank you so much for joining me, Gemma. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, we would love it if you left us an iTunes review or if you comment, like and share it on our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. If you need support or you are looking for advice on how to progress one of your initiatives, please drop us an email so I can arrange a call with you so we can discuss this further. Our email is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk. We've been helping primary care networks with their development plans, helping them to make the most of their network meetings, sharing training resources. We've had questions like what do we include in a project plan? We have implemented network-based contracts across GP federations. We also support the day-to-day operational management of training hubs and have also got experience in setting them up from scratch. If we can't help you, we definitely know some people who will be able to help you. So please do get in touch. And that's just to remind you, our email address is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk or come and find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast.